Unfortunately, uh, you know, sometimes we have to go through some tough times on uh, the Rub Wrestling Podcast, and unfortunately, uh, times like these are difficult in the professional wrestling world and in real life as well. Um, we had uh, two superstar wrestlers that have recently died, um, Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt. Um, both had illustrious careers, even though Bray Wyatt's was cut extremely short at the age of 36. Uh, Terry, unfortunately, passed of, uh, at the age of 79. But uh, both had outstanding careers, um, and we just kind of want to give a quick highlight of those right now. So with Terry Funk, when you look at a lot of the stuff that he's done over the years, um, you know, started his big draw in the 70s in the NWA, um, and eventually moved uh, to Japan, where he had a very successful career, and uh, a, a promo that you can really listen to is his forever promo when he did his last match in Japan. Um very iconic if you've never seen it before and maybe you're a new wrestling um you know group to this podcast when you come through and listen to it but that's a big one from there terry basically moved into wcw where he had uh, a massive feud to start with rick flair um on top of that from uh wcw is one of the essential founding members of ecw he actually wrestled for the heavyweight championship in the very first pay-per-view um, and uh, basically got to the WWE in his last shot as Chainsaw Charlie, um, wrestling a lot in the hardcore division with Mick Foley and was a, a WWE tag team champion over there as well. Um, some of the highlights of his career, um, he had the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Feud of the Year in 1989 with Ric Flair, um, was the most inspirational wrestler of the year in 1997 with his work with ECW. Um, he was received the Stanley Weston Award in 2021 for Lifetime Achievement in Professional Wrestling, um, was the PWI Wrestler of the Year in 1976. Um, he was also ranked uh, number 22 in the top 500 singles wrestler in the PWI in 1991 and also in the PWI years, which was um, basically uh, a top 500 ranking of all time uh, in 2003. And uh, with his brother, Dory Funk Jr. in 2003, PWI ranked him number nine in the top 100 tag teams of the PW, uh, PWI years um, magazine when they went through. So thoughts and our thoughts are with... Uh, uh, with Terry Funk's family at this time, and for anybody out there that's mourning the loss of uh, this legend. Um, for Bray Wyatt, second-generational wrestler that uh, basically came out of the United States, um, had many gimmicks over the years, uh, basically started as um, Husky Harris um, in NXT um, before he did his work in FCW, um, joined the Nexus, was part of the Nexus faction, um, and but the real work that really happened after that was when he went back to FCW and basically created the Bray Wyatt character, which was loosely based on the uh, Robert De Niro's character in, in Cape Fear. Um, that really demonstrated all of his charisma, everything that you could see. He was violent, aggressive, um, just a football player of a man, big statured, speed of a, a basically a jungle cat, can move in a, agile in that ring like you could never believe. Um, Basically got onto the main roster, um, and uh, you know he was uh, involved in the feud of the year, like we said with the Nexus. But uh, his big stuff after that, he was actually um, a very credible wrestler. He was actually ranked in 2014 as number six on the top 500 singles wrestlers list. He was a WWE champion, a WWE Universal champion twice, um, and after his Bray Wyatt gimmick, he actually became the Fiend, um, which really showed his charisma and his diversity in characters on screen. Um, Bray Wyatt's passed at the age of 36. Um, with that, um, we pass along uh, from the podcast our condolences to any friends and family.
All right, so hello to out there, everybody in Radio Land, Podcast Land. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody's having a great time out there. Uh, you know, basically, what are we here for? We're here for something really big. You know, when we talk big, is it the biggest wrestling event of all time? That's basically what we are going to be talking about today is mostly um, the fallout from All In at Wembley Stadium that recently happened. Uh, it's kind of like a kid on Christmas or basically a fat kid eating Smarties. Everybody got real excited. So we're going from that. Just in regards to the podcast, um, you can find us. If you have any questions or any rumors or anything that you want us to talk about, you can hit us up at the Rub Wrestling uh, at Outlook.com. You can also find our podcast at anywhere you can really find a podcast, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play. Hit that follow, hit that subscribe button, and uh, come help us out. Join in the conversation of the rumors and engagement of the professional wrestling world. So, like we said, boys, big, big start to the week. Um, Chris, I don't know. You got a great shirt on right now. You know, school of hard knocks, buddy. I heard you got a football pool coming up. But in the long run, we had to talk about this and talk about, you know, your week leading up. Was was is AEW now hotter coming out of All In than it was before All In at Wembley? Yeah, AEW is much hotter coming out, especially with another pay per view in in what six days. Yep, looking forward to that. Um, uh, I know we'll talk about it later, but I great show, great show, did it for me. Set up, uh, set up my week to be pretty well. Set up my week on a high, so pretty happy about that. Oh yeah, buddy. Um, which kind of brings us to Josh. Josh, you know, it's kind of funny when we kind of go through all this all in talk, and uh, we're gonna get to each match effectively. But uh, <clears throat> a lot of people are talking about the incident that happened before the 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 event really started on the zero hour show with Jack Perry. Are you still, is CM Punk still your best friend? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if the problem keeps on happening and it keeps on happening with the same person with different people, who's the problem? It's definitely CM Punk. And it seems like he's a real cancer in that locker room. And I think it's going to be detrimental to the business. Yeah, it's, you know what? It's, uh, you kind of look at a lot of the stuff that happened and really getting into All In and really seeing the the card, you know, massive. 81,000, what was it? 81,035 people paid tickets, paid attendance at Wembley. Um, biggest wrestling show of all time. Um, we can kind of keep going on here, but uh, I think it was one thing to watch and to kind of anticipate in your head what it actually was going to look like with 80,000 people, I think it was another thing when you actually saw it on screen and you saw the three tiers and everything go around. And I think in even in our group when we were talking, it was just kind of like one of those things where you're like, holy fuck, that's a lot of people. <laughs> so, um, you know, first thing that we are going to kick it off with, we are going to kick off a little bit. We don't talk a lot about the AEW Zero Hour show. Um, we're not going to loop in with a lot of stuff. Um, basically... You know, Cole and MJF uh, won the ROH tag titles against Ozzy Open. Um, kind of a short match to start, but like we said with Josh, there was a little bit of kind of a, a scenario at the last match of Zero Hour, which ended up being Jack Perry and Hook for the FTW title, that really kind of led into that opening match. And for those that don't really know what happened, basically Jack Perry um, was, they were doing a spot with a limousine, and there's been some rumors of. Uh, a punk and Jack Perry kind of falling out a couple weeks ago over uh, the use of some real glass. So basically, there was a scenario where uh, a spot happened where Jack Perry um, basically put some people, or he went through some glass and then he yelled at the camera and said, That's real glass. Why don't you cry me a river? <laughs> um, which kind of uh, didn't sit too well with CM Punk. 
<laughs> um, and kind of led to different accounts, some chokeholds, some punches that happened in the back room, and CM Punk ended up being that first match. So Josh kind of alluded to it with that thing. Chris, what do you what do you what do you really make of this whole situation? Like, is it just becoming a joke at this point with with what's happening to to be? Because when you think of the old locker room leaders, you think of the Undertaker. Do you ever hear him a, a story of him where he came to blows with somebody over his 25, 30 year career? No, um, yeah, I, I thought it was a work for sure, especially since he looked into the camera and said it, said that's real glass. I thought for sure at that point it was it was just some kind of work. And then I heard about the backstage altercation. and It's just getting, like I watch wrestling to, to watch wrestling, not to listen to what's going on. Like the backstage stuff is interesting at times, but now it's just punk fighting everybody kicking everybody out of shows, uh, taking his ball and going home every time it doesn't go his way. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's and, – and he has the new real title. So, I mean, he's got a big spotlight on him, and he just keeps kind of digging himself in these holes where it's hard to stay behind him even, even if you're a fan at this point because all he's doing is is – it's like he's trying to take the company down. It's like he's 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 uh, – He's being that guy that he said he never wanted to be during the pipe bomb thing. So Yeah, you know what? It's funny going back to it. And, Josh, my question for you ends up being, like, would this even be something that we would have even heard of 15 years ago? <laughs> with all that, with dirt sheets, with the massive amount of people for the pressers that were there. There was probably, what, 70 people for the presser when we watched the presser at the end of the night? Because, I mean, it was between 5 and 7. Like, 15 years ago, does this even happen? Do we even hear about this story at all? Uh, I mean, I don't think you hear about this story because I think someone would have squashed Punk back then. Like, I think that <clears throat> the reason Punk's getting away with what he's getting away with is because AEW is relying on him a lot. But WWE wouldn't have put up with a lot of this fighting, specifically fighting. They probably would have solved it their own. I know that there was, you know, issues with the click and all those things in WWE where one per- when, when a group of people controlled a lot of things. But I think that if this was happening in WWE, I think they would do a better job at eliminating CM Punk. I think that he's just not worth the... He's too too much of a liability. Is this the second pay-per-view in a row that he's going to have an, an altercation? Like, I don't know. It's just... It's intolerable. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think it's it's just getting to a point where it's a soft spot. And I think at the end of the day, I, I don't even really think he cares. I think I'm sure he finds it really funny. But I think at the end, when we're kind of going across, it does take away from the event. And I think that's the thing that's really kind of what I found going through the media, through Twitter, and all the other places where I was looking today is that everybody's saying that, you know, All In was so hot, such a great show. It was an A show. Um you know, some of the matches kind of um, were some were some were good. Some didn't kind of meet the expectation a little bit. But there was overall as a show, it was a great show when you watched it. it, it and you know what the the time AEW finally got the timing right for a pay per view of this size, in my opinion. Like they really got it uh, bang on for how they ran it. So Tony did a big job. I think he was listening to the cast when we talked about the last pay per view and how long it went. But. Um, I think at the end of the day, when you're kind of looking at the scenario, it's just it's the wrong having the promotion in 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 the news for the wrong reasons, and um, you know it, it's interesting. I really don't think that he cares, and that's pretty much it. I I think like it's funny because when Punk seems to take issue with everybody like doing anybody doing something like Jack Perry saying like it's real glass. Meanwhile, he's dropping fucking pipe bombs on on people who can't even come out. Or like he did that to Hangman Page where he called him out on a show that Hangman Page wasn't supposed to show up. And it's like he's clearly going into business for himself. Except like 
you know, his business sucks. Yeah, and I think it, there's two sides of that coin. There's the coin, the side of the coin that you just said, and then the other side of the coin is that is that a lot of people don't think that you would get to 80,000 people if CM Punk wasn't there, right? Maybe it ends up lower. We don't, we don't know. We'd have to wait and see. But but that's that's the good news. The other big announcement that came out is obviously All In at Wembley is happening again next year, basically at the same time. So we get to uh, see if CM Punk will actually be at that one. Um I'm sure if there's more altercations, it probably won't be happening. But uh, who are we, Josh? You, you say it sometimes. Chris said it. It's like, could it all be a work? We don't know, right? But these are the rumors that are coming out, and it didn't really have a, a good look for AEW this morning. Uh, so going through it, the opening match was the aforementioned CM Punk against Samoa Joe. Um, you know, basically kind of a really crazy match that kind of went over kind of the history of um, the fights that they had, like the original, um, the original um, matches back in the day. Basically, there was always a storyline where Punk couldn't beat Joe, and then all of a sudden he's in AEW. Punk beats Joe, and then they have a, a, the scenario that they had. Now, Chris, what were your thoughts about this as the opening match? Do you think that this was a really good opening match um, uh, for All In? Do you think it really set the tone of the show? Yeah, I was uh, I was pleasant pleasantly surprised with it. So I didn't think it was going to be the first one. I thought it'd be safe for a little bit uh, higher up on the card. But uh, yeah, I was I was happy with it. Um, CM Punk with a with a couple shots at uh, WWE there with the you can't see me the leg drop and pedigree off the top rope. So you know those things are fun. But obviously Punk will throw three of them in there instead of just throwing one of them in there. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It, for me, it was the history. I like the history um, of that stuff. So it uh, it got me got me good. It, it was it was a good start. Um, yeah, who did I think was gonna go first? I definitely thought Jericho might go first, but then with Osprey, I figured that would probably go that would probably go later on. Um, super used to Orange Cassidy being first, <laughs> so. Uh, again, it, it kind of switched it up and and a uh, little nostalgia trip. So so it did it for me. I thought uh, not a five star match, but it was good. Yeah, no. So unfortunately, like kind of in the last AEW pay per view, we, uh, we 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 had the pleasure of having the Meltzer ratings already there. The good news is today is that we actually don't. So what we can do is we'll do something a little bit different. Uh, we'll do a grading system A B C D E or A B C D and F. So Josh, I'll get to you in a second with this. Chris, what would you rate this match if you had to give it your grade? For the opener, I'd I'd say a B, maybe an A if uh, Punk uh, didn't uh, didn't blow all his adrenaline getting mad at Jack Perry before he went out there. But uh, yeah, I thought it was a solid solid B minus. Josh, this uh, this like we said, we talked about an opener match. What do you think? Like, what do you think? Um, you know, CM Punk ends up going from here. I think you know what he has this real belt with an X through it. Does it? Does, do you think it ends up going back to Ricky Starks? Do you think somebody else comes back? Because let's face it, we got another pay per view that's coming up in a week's time, um, next week in Chicago, and that seems like it's going to be a pretty big show for for not just AEW as well, because this could be a, a bit of a tradition that happens the two pay per views back to back. But <clears throat> where do you really see him going with this title, and who do you think is going to face him next? Well, it looks like he's going to get suspended. So, I mean, if he gets suspended, do they take away his invisible or his imaginary title that he's walking around? I don't know. Then is he going to come out and then do a double X on the next one and be like, oh, my goodness. And um, his, his jacket, I would though, say that there might be a his chance. His jacket he, had three X's what? on the back. <laughs> Maybe that's three oh, yeah. strikes. Well, I mean, I think there might be a chance. That he, there might be a chance that he fights Jack Perry and all out, and maybe this is all a work. As always, 
Um, but I think he'll be suspended for all out, and uh, you know, which is weird because it's a Chicago, so maybe maybe that won't be the case. So maybe he'll fight Jack Perry, and it's uh, all a bigger part of the work. I don't know. I think. To be honest, I'm just t- getting sick and tired of CM Punk. I don't care if he's good for business. I Josh, Josh, as much him. as you're one of my best friends, I think I'm going to kind of ask Chris what he thoughts on. Do you think, Chris, uh, that Josh is the Fox Mulder of this podcast? Because the truth is out there. <laughs> yeah, J- Josh is the one who thinks that everything's... Uh, there's a little little bit more to look into to every situation, especially with AEW. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's the truth is out there. Josh, Josh just says it's all work. <laughs> Well, it just seems that, like, they use the media, like, that's all they're doing is, like, they put these stories are out there. Like, I'm sure all this stuff kind of happens with WWE, but, like, there's somebody involved at AEW who's getting these stupid stories out to them, making mountains out of molehills. And, yeah, and I give this this match a B because of Samoa Joe. Yeah, you know what? I actually, I, I actually probably rated a little bit higher. I probably had it at a B plus or an A minus. Actually, I was kind of really surprised at how good it actually came out. Just the spots were really strong. Um, I think you know when you're looking at a lot of stuff. I think you know we talked about the ring jacket, the three X's. Punk wearing that jacket from the ROH size was really good. Um, I think the reaction he got was great. It was really split. I'd probably say it was 60, 60 40. The fans hated him. But the spots and the chemistry that he has with Joe is you can't really deny that. And I think my favorite Joe spot is when somebody gets on the rope and they go to jump and then they miss and he walks away. And then kind of they kind of tease that and CM Punk teased it and then he jumped off the top rope to the outside and then he walked away. But Samoa Joe just had an amazing way of getting the crowd involved. And I, I would have to agree that if I'm giving it that high end A minus, it, it's because of him. I think Punk's the draw. But Joe was the one that electrified the crowd, and I think that that's kind of what you need. You need that kind of that that electric in the beginning. And I honestly thought it was going to be a mega that started Chris. Um, I didn't think he was going to go to the end. I just thought having that match right off the bat would have been good. But I also think by having that match, and if that was a complete banger like an A plus match, I think it would have really kind of destroyed the tone for the rest of the the pay per view moving forward. So I think they went with the safer bet, which is good. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kind of happens with this, and uh, especially what's going to happen at all out in Chicago. I think that's going to be that that'll be really interesting for him, and it's going to be a storyline that's going to be continuing throughout the week. So, to our next match after that, um, we had that uh, that six man uh, the six man tag. We had the Golden Elite versus Jay White, Juice, and Kona. Oh my God, why can't I say his name? Konosuke Takeshita. I was trying to kind of say Konosuke like Takeshita. I should have just said Takeshita. Anyways, I'll try not to make a mistake of that. But anyways, this was pretty much a banger. Um, we went through it. A lot of action, a lot of high flying. The crowd was extremely hot for Kenny Omega. Um, uh, crowd was chanting his name. He was really the standout performer in this match, um, in my opinion. I thought um, that uh, there was really some kind of good spots there with how they kind of ran this match. And uh, Chris, I, I'd say if you're gonna, we'll start with you. And you kind of look at somebody that's in the match that's kind of on the side, like you know Kenny. Hangman, Coda, I'd say Jay White. Um, th- those are all really big names, but I really felt that this match did a great job highlighting Juice and Takeshita in this matchup. Like, what are your thoughts on that? And uh, h- how do you think they, they pulled that off? 
yeah, I mean, uh, good good for them on a show this big to give uh, to give those two some of uh, you know some of the spotlight with all the guys you have in there. Um, <clears throat> Juice, I, I've liked Juice. I, I remember him as CJ Parker in NXT, um, but yeah, I've liked him since he since he left. He does a lot of kind of like how Jay White's doing it now. He's done a lot of under the radar stuff, but he's like he's made he's made a name for himself out out in New Japan and and. I think uh, AEW recognized that, you know, it was kind of slow going with with the uh, with Bullet Club Gold at first, but now they're they're really starting to get some time, which is good to see. So, looks like they're they're just factoring them into equations. They're not just a piece a piece of that uh, piece of that six man tag. Same thing with uh, Takeshi Takeshita. Yep. Yeah, like he's he's a big man. Like he uh, when when he's in there, so they're letting him showcase uh, showcase what he's got, and I I like his kind of I like his brown noise music. Just one brown noise <laughs> note. That's pretty cool. Um, I think putting Don Callis on him is is another way that they're they're kind of bringing his stock up. Um, I I like he just. He's a big guy, no nonsense, stiff worker, and and his body language, his body language shows it. So I think they're just seeing what they they have. They see what they have with those two, and instead of having them just there to be on the outside brawling, they you know they they finally let them uh, let them get in there a little bit. So I think it'll be good for their careers. I think uh, we're seeing them being put in a card this big. So uh, I I think the future looks bright for those two. Yeah, you know, it was it was really interesting to see kind of when we're going through. I, I really kind of highlighted the work of, I would say, Don Callis in this match. And I think in a lot of cases when you're looking forward, um, he sold a lot of stuff, um, not just announcing in the match, but he sold a lot of the near falls that were happening if you were watching him at ringside. Um, and really making sure that, to, really kind of letting everybody know that Takeshita is his investment. And I think that was really strong. I mean, this match was basically tailored um, to go at All Out. When I saw this match right off the bat, I knew it was going to go to All Out and that we were going to see Omega and Takesha. I just had a like had a feeling from it. It just seems that that's the natural line of our arc of the storyline. Um, <clears throat> but Josh, I want to go back to Juice a little bit because I don't want to, like, I mean, I thought everybody did normal. I, th- I felt kind of the only one that was a little bit lost was Kota Ibushi, and I think a lot of it was ring rest. But... Um, factor fiction when we talk about Juice Robinson again is he the most underrated wrestler in AEW? Uh, in AEW, I'm not sure. I think he's he's quite underrated. Uh, like especially in the Bullet Club, um, I think that he he definitely brings an energy to the ring um, that uh, nobody else in that match did. Um, I don't know. I, have, I don't know if I've seen enough of his in-ring ability to say that he's underrated. I think that he's getting a lot of showtime right now, which is great. And I think that, uh, you know, I want to see more of him. Um, I will say that the finish to this match seemed a little soft. It was like, just seemed like it wasn't timed well. The crowd was in kind of like a downswing and then it didn't have that like pop that you'd expect it to have. I wasn't upset that it was a roll-up, but I thought that it was like just kind of like it was poorly timed in the way that the match happened that like there wasn't a lot of like kind of thing, but I, I did this match was, I, I enjoyed the match. Uh, it was a, uh, like you said, Kenny Omega was mostly the star in this match, but, uh, juice Robinson definitely, uh, did a great job. Too. Yeah, I think one of the things that are really coming out of this match is that basically Jay white saved, 
uh, you know, Takeshita from a V-Trigger, and then the roll-up happened, right? So I think what a lot of people are actually thinking now, there's a rumor I actually read. It's very, very low-key rumor, but they're actually talking about maybe Don Callis talking about his family and actually being the manager of Bullet Club. Do you think that there's any truth to that rumor, or do you think that he's going to go with his own stable? Um, well, he already said that he doesn't like stables. He, he yeah, has a family. family. <laughs> he said that in the presser. <laughs> um, so I think that, you know, maybe... I, maybe, I don't know, I feel like he can't take on Bullet Club because Bullet Club's its, its own thing, but maybe they're just like, they work together and Don Callis is just dirty and they're like guns for hire kind of thing. I think that might be more the case. Um, if anything, maybe he runs like a, an all-Japanese stable and he's their voice and that's kind of good because I think that like Takeshita, Kenny Omega could be the best, the best match of the night at All Out. I think that if they do what they can... That might be the best match of the night. Yeah, and I think there's just so much story there. I think with, uh, you know, Kota and uh, basically Omega basically training Takeshita and DDT. And I think that's that's something that we don't see. That's like basically a, uh, a Japanese federation that doesn't get a lot of a lot of looks sometimes. I think like the diehards will watch it. But I think, you know, people that are kind of stuck to the North American stuff are really looking at... Um, what's the word, like NJPW as, as the main, kind of as the main federation that people are looking at or the main, uh, the main sectional of wrestling that they're going to be watching coming out of Japan. So a lot of people don't focus on DDT as much, right? Um, so he's somebody that's completely under the radar unless you've watched that. Um, I thought he did a really good job in the match. Chris, absolutely right. Just a massive, like, big boy. I watched him in the, the press conference, and he just, like, looked so much bigger than Don Callis. And not like that's hard, but it's just something that really kind of stood out. Um, I find when you put him with other wrestlers, he's kind of the, the same size, but I was very shocked to like find out how, how big he actually was. And I think the energy was good for the match. I think it was a good overall match. Um, Josh, what would you rate it? What, if you had to give it a grade, what would you grade that? Yeah, I'd say it's like a B or a B minus for me. I think that uh, it wasn't as good as it could have been, but I think that it was good enough and it was entertaining good spots it's just uh, the finish kind of did it for me where it was just like it wasn't a, it just wasn't the finish that i would have liked to see not that the roll-up was a bad thing just the timing wasn't was off for me chris what are you, what's your grade for that match i i give it a i give it a b mostly for the same reasons as, as josh because the finish came after like v trigger after v trigger after v trigger and then all of a sudden just rolled up so it kind of like josh said it it like didn't fall flat for me. I wasn't upset with the finish. It was just like, you know, I was getting built up and then for a roll up. I don't, it just, it just seemed out of place for that match. Yeah, especially so, with the, yeah, I'll, the, I'll all the finishers that good. went after it too or before it, right? So, yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I probably, I'm probably with you guys. Like, I almost thought it was, uh, I almost thought it was like an accidental finish. Like that's how awkward it looked. Like whenever, well, like the referee even looked surprised, and so maybe that's what it did for me. Was that like everybody kind of looked like it was a mistake? Yeah, I think I think with having the pay per view at all out, I think it was done to kind of give that storyline as well, kind of that unfinished, that unfinished business to go into next week. Um, so I can totally see that though. I mean, especially because of the size of the occasion, I had a feeling that there was going to be a couple matches that kind of ended a little bit off just because they were going to try to use them for next week. Right. But we haven't really seen much for what's going to be on the next card at all. out. And so dynamite rampage and collision is going to have to be very quick to figure out what's going on. Unless all out is on the Saturday. I'm not sure if it's Saturday or Sunday, if somebody can look it up, but, um, anyways, we'll, I think it's a Sunday. Yeah, so I, I would almost, it'd, it'd almost be suicide to do it on Saturday without having collision on it, right? So, um, 
With that being said, um, going into the third match, third match was, um, you know, up there for probably one of the matches of the night. I don't want to spoil it, but, I mean, we just knew it was going to happen. It was for the AEW World Tag Team Championships um, with uh, FTR versus the Young Bucks. Uh, Young Bucks, you know, entrance came out to their normal ludicrous style that they normally have where they look like, I don't know, two members of a band out of Skid Row in a way, but kind of act a lot like they're in a boy band, which is kind of funny to me. But, uh, but this match was basically kind of, you know, the third match of the trilogy, um, getting everything ready for the tag team titles, who's put on the history for who's the best of all time. Um, FTR went out um, after a lot of near misses, a lot of, um, sorry, near uh, near pinfalls. FTR gets the win. Um but, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting, um, you know, when you kind of watch this match going forward. Um, if we had to compare, guys, and we were looking, and I've, I've said this before, we were comparing this match, and I'm not the biggest fan. If we had to compare this match at all in against that two out of three falls match with, with Juice and Jay White, which match was better? And, Josh, I'll put you on this first. Oh, the, the two out of three falls for sure. I, I thought this match was really good, but it was... By far not a five star match. I, I don't think it was a. I think it was. Uh, it didn't. It didn't uh, provoke enough emotion. I don't think they actually told as good of a story as they could have told with it. I think that the wrestling was phenomenal, but I, I don't think it was a good enough to get a five star rating. And the match uh, that they had with the Bullet Club was uh, a far better, in my opinion. Uh, Chris, same question to you. I think it's kind of important to go through. Do you agree with Josh in that statement, or do you think do you think that it was a five star match? What What are your thoughts on that um, for FTR and uh, the Bucks? I thought it was a good match. Uh, would I say it's a five star match? No, uh, same thing. Uh, I liked I liked the in ring stuff. I I never dislike it with either of those two in the ring. Um, Maybe we had a problem here where they knew about the match and overbooked it, overproduced it, overworked it. Whereas with uh, Bullet Club Gold, they didn't have much time, so uh, things things had to come come together a little bit more tighter, maybe a little bit more clear and concise. Things weren't changed like a week before. I I don't know, of course, but um, good match. I mean, it's it's not going to be a bad match. You're always going to be entertained with these two teams. Um, I guess the thing that did it most for me story wise is just seeing the Bucks not uh, not shake the hand. So um, I can imagine that's going to lead to something. They're not just going to do that to turn the Bucks heel. Um, but yeah, I, B plus, B plus for me. Josh, what about you? If you had to give it a grade, I don't. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's an A but for you, but. Well, I, I still think it was like an A. I just don't think it was an A. Like, I, it wasn't like an A minus, I would say, for me. Like, it was probably the second best, best match of the night for me. Um, but I, I just, I think that it was uh, it wasn't an A plus. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I would have to agree. I thought it was I thought it was an A. I, I actually really enjoyed it. I thought the spots were great. There was a couple throwbacks in that match when you looked at it. Like, basically um, and it, it, you'd really have to watch the other two matches to get some of it if you're going through, like when Cash Wheeler did the 450. And basically what ended up happening was um, that was the same spot that he did in uh, the full gear in 2020, right? So when he did that match of full gear, um, him doing the 450 cost him the match, and in this one it didn't. And then there's kind of another scenario where um, kind of looked and there was a lot of super kicks and they were kind of stealing everything. I think one of the highlights was... Um, 
you know, basically the Bucks actually kicking out of uh, the Shatter Machine. And I thought that was kind of interesting because, like, people were saying, is that the first time that that's ever happened? I, I don't I don't know if it's the first time. I think in AEW it's the first time it's ever happened. But I don't know if that's the case in WWE. Um, Chris, I, I kind of agree with you. I think, like, what ends up happening on these these match ratings and people get these match ratings in is it's always trying to be better than the last time you fought. And there hits a point where no matter what you do, it's the same if you go into the gym, if you're going anywhere else and you do something over a long period of time, it's like speed running video games. You just, you hit a plateau, right? And so I don't know if that this is their plateau, but it certainly feel like the next time that they go in the ring, there has to be something different there. And maybe it's a gimmick, maybe it's a steel cage, maybe it's something like that that can be, uh, that can add to it. Um, but I think like, you know, there's still plenty of more story here to work out, especially when it's the handshake didn't happen. So one of the things that kind of threw me off about it was like, we're trying to find out who the best of all time is. And now are we now prolonged into the story again, where now this is going to be the feud moving forward? <laughs> Or is this going to be something short-term where AEW is going to drop the ball with going into something where it's, you know, the the true best of the company against now something that they'll only run for a week or two? And I think that's my concern with it. I'm, I'm really hoping they run with this um, a long time. I mean, I don't want to see a best of seven between them, but I'd really like to see this go for a few months, at least three to six months uh, for it to be really good because I think the fans are going to win if that's the case. Now, for... Basically, the bloodiest match of the night. We have uh, the stadium stampede, which was pretty much all out, man. Like, um, and I, no pun intended for the pay per view or the the PLE that's coming up. But basically, you had Blackpool Combat Club, and uh, basically the return of Mike Santana. I don't know why they kept calling him Mike Santana throughout the whole thing. And Ortiz uh, against Best Friends, Orange Cassidy, Eddie Kingston, um, and Penta, which was pretty nuts. And uh, that this match kind of has been rated a lot online as probably one of the worst matches of the night, and I thought that this was one of the the match that I almost I think want to say I enjoyed the most. I wouldn't say it's the best match of the night, but I I enjoyed it. I thought the the line going into it was great. Um, it was great to see the Blackpool Combat Club get beaten. I think um, Josh, from a betting perspective, I think a lot of people lost a, a lot of money on this. If um, going through, because I I didn't I didn't really have best friends and and those guys coming out, but it is an Orange Cassidy match, and that guy wins everything, right? So um, I just thought it was uh, was a really cool match. Um, I thought the Eddie Kingston promo the night before, or whatever he did that promo where he talked how he's gonna burn Casanoli and basically he was gonna bury Wheeler and. I thought that was one of the best promos, and I would rank that up there in the top five best promos in AEW history because it set the tone going into that match. Um, and, uh, you know, as much as we uh, we kind of we were talking about Eddie Kingston on the weekend and uh, his terrible choice of wrestling outfits, um, the one thing I will say is that that man really knows how to get you emotionally involved in the match, and I think... With all the stuff Moxley did with the blood and everything, it was just it was crazy. So, Chris, when you watched this, what were your initial thoughts? Like, it, it, it's a complete clusterfuck. I don't think there's any one of us can say that it's not. But what were your highlights of this match when watching it, and what was going through your mind when you saw it all? This it might have entertained me the most. It might have been the most the kind of the most fun to watch. Um, like obviously, whatever those spikes were that were driven into Moxley's head, Skewers. and then just stuck there, and then came, 
then like just came out and then just like blossomed in his head still <laughs> like that was that was great um there, there was so much so much fun stuff in this match people <laughs> just hurting each other um what else uh sue sue coming in and then uh them making the comment obviously that she got a driver's license when you can clear like they drive on the right side of the road like she's in the left side uh i don't know there it was good fun there's a lot of good stuff um Penta, they did the, the the doctor thing again, which isn't my biggest. It's not my biggest. Uh, it's not my favorite when they bring the doctors in and bring someone to the back. Okay. And then uh, my buddy, my buddy kind of called it. He's like, well, he might come back. I'm like, all oh, right, AEW. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then he does come back. So that was cool. But I, I thought Penta, it looked like he actually got hurt. So I thought he was actually hurt. Um, <clears throat> yeah, tons of blood. Orange Cassidy got busted open. Every everybody got busted open. Um, I don't know. Kingston's going in there and just smacking everybody with backhands. It was it was just it was really good fun. Uh, what would I give it? Uh, like everything else, C. Uh, entertainment value, like A for sure. <laughs> Josh, what were your thoughts on the match when you were going through? What was your favorite part of the match when you saw it, or did you actually enjoy it at all? <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed it. I, the thing that I found hard is that, like, they definitely didn't have the spots timed up well enough because they were going back and forth, and you missed a couple of big spots, or they were they didn't miss it, but you, they, they replayed them, so it was hard to watch. Um, I, I like Chris. I enjoyed when watching John Moxley with this with the look like skewers in his head it was fantastic. Um, I just thought it was sloppy, which is to be expected. Um, Ortiz was quite sloppy. He made a couple of uh, mistakes, and in fact, I think it was it, it was either Ortiz or Santana. Whoever went through the table broke kayfabe mid match, and you saw him like tap the guy's face. Yeah, yeah I think I the, think it was Ortiz on Kingston, eh? and he actually said something, and you could hear it in the camera. Like he's like, "Are he, you okay?" He, <laughs> and he tapped his face and smiled like, "You okay?" Like it was like, "Okay, I get it," but like you have to understand that the camera is on you, and that happens, and you you got to kind of fake it. So that was a little bit troublesome for me. Uh, again, like Chris said, you know, it's an entertaining match because they're doing stuff that, you know, you don't get to see in any type of any other type of match. Um, but it's just a very difficult match to watch. I'm glad it wasn't all in the ring the whole time because 10 guys in a ring is just too, too much to, to deal with. But uh, yeah, I thought it was good. And I actually enjoyed the fact that they put the pin on Claudio instead of on Wheeler Yuta. And so that was kind of nice to see that he wasn't the whipping boy of the Blackpool Combat Club in this loss. But I, do, I would have thought that in this match that the best friends actually would have won. That's who I would have predicted. Just because they've lost the last few. And I think all in after uh, the Elite lost, I, the crowd really needed a babyface team to win. And I, that's kind of where I was like, oh, that, this is going to have to be a win because the crowd needs it. So. I think we got a few things coming out of this which are kind of really unique that we don't normally get to see. And I think like when, when I think about the match itself, I'll start there. Let's start with that. Um, I had two highlights and I had one that I hated. Uh, kind of the one that I hated was obviously Penta going in the back and doing a costume change. Like, who gives a shit about that? Like, <laughs> ooh, you're darker. Like, you should have just came out like that to start. And you could have completely avoided the hospital thing or the the medic thing or the doctor thing coming out, which doesn't make any sense. Like him coming in with Alex Abrahentis, like Alex Abrahentis is the most annoying person on planet Earth. 
Like him, like probably of the people I hate in the AEW, there's Sammy Guevara and then there's Alex Abrahentis. He's a terrible manager. Just terrible. And if you watch him in the presser, he was awful in the presser too. And I don't know if he does it on purpose, but if he's trying to be like a really bad manager, he's doing a great fucking job. Um, other than that, the two spots I really liked, everybody talked about the skewers. The skewers was all over X or Twitter today. The big one for me was the fork. The fork that he used to cut up Cassidy was insane. If you rewatch it, and I did last night, and you actually watch the scratches that he went at it, it was probably worse than Nick Gage on the pizza cutter. Like, I don't know if anything could be worse than a pizza cutter. You'd think that a fork wouldn't, but he made the fork look great when he did it. I think my other favorite thing that I saw at the end was um, they took a, a group photo at the very end of it, I guess, with Best Friends and Sue. And Sue's sitting there giving the V sign, like in England, which you're not supposed to do. You're supposed, you can't go, like, you're not supposed to go like this. Like, it's actually, like, when you give the V sign, it's, like, the biggest sign of disrespect. It means, like, shove it, pretty much. But Sue's sitting there with the V sign, and I don't know. I'm kind of sitting there, I'm like, is this a peace sign? Like, does she think that this is a peace sign? Because she's literally insulting all of England by doing this. <laughs> so, um, at one point, I didn't know if Sue was going to get kicked out of the country or not after that picture, which was kind of cool, but... Um, I'd have to agree. I think when you look at the whole thing as a match, Stadium Stampede is a throwback to blood and guts. It's a throwback to ECW. It's a throwback to these scenarios where we're giving those hardcore fans something that they really want to see. Entertainment value, especially like Eddie Kingston doing what he did in the last Stadium Stampede match where he's covered full of blood and he looks like a zombie walking to the ring. Like, it's my favorite thing. Like, I love Eddie Kingston because he'll provide an emotional response. He gets it out of me. He doesn't get it out of everybody, but he gets it out of me. And there's something real about Eddie Kingston that I really, really like. And the scenario here is that I think we're going to start seeing something. In the presser, they mentioned that Orange Cassidy is going to defend on Wednesday night, I believe, against Penta El Zero Miedo for uh, the International Championship. And the winner is going to fight Moxley. And I have a feeling that potentially Orange Cassidy's title reign is going to start coming to an end because what I really think that that pin on Claudio sets up is Cassidy to potentially try to run the shot at ROH um, for a little while. And I think like that gives them a really big name recognition in there. Um, I think it kind of it's a it's a way to gracefully take the title off Cassidy without looking weak. You're going he's going up against one of the best AEW can offer. Um, it gonna give him a chance to give a have a have a chance to be the guy in a in a promotion where right now he might not be the guy in AEW. He's up there. Um, you talk about pillars. That guy's a pillar of AEW. I don't care what anybody says. But at the end of the day, I think he needs a run to be the guy on main television to kind of help him out, to set him up. And I think that's where we're looking at down the road with Orange Cassidy, right? Might not be everybody's cut and dry. If it's not going to be with a world title on AEW TV, it'll definitely be with the TNT title. So I think there's a lot of things that we can take out of this. I think that uh, the feud with Moxley and Kingston isn't over. I think I'd love to see like potentially a death match between those two. I don't know if we're going to see it. But it'd be awesome if we could see it because there'd be a lot of blood in that. So a lot of stuff conjuring up here. I'm really interested. I think that this is the match that's going to have the most stuff come out of it going into All Out next weekend. So if I had to give it, I'd give it entertainment Why it was, it was an A-plus for me. <coughs> um, grading, I'd probably agree with Chris. It was about a B-minus or a C for me. 
I, I gave it a C minus for the yeah. grading, but uh, I'll also agree with A, a with A. Yeah, for the entertainment was great. I mean, a lot of people say, well, if you're going to give it an A, why isn't it an A for the match? It's like, well, it's an art form too, and it's uh, with 10 guys in a ring, it can be really clustered. So that's why. Um, on deck after that was the AEW World Women's Championship, which was a four way with, with uh, the champion Hikaru Shida going against uh, Soraya, Tony Storm, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. Um, and a lot of emotion in this match going through, and I think, you know what, Soraya came out to Queen, which was kind of a cool spot, and kind of got the crowd all jazzed up. Um, I don't think that this match was terrible. Um, I think it was, uh, it, it had some, it had some pretty cool moments in there when we went through it, but Chris, usually we see a lot of women's matches, and it's difficult because the airtime with them is so small on TV, and there's some... Um, you know, Josh, we've talked about this in the past about um, giving women their due and, and, and the hitting and the violence and, and really getting to it. Chris, do you think that this match did it for you? Was this a good Fatal 4-Away match for Wembley? Uh, I'll, like, I'll go right out and I say C+. And for me, for a women's match, that's that's pretty high for me. Um, it felt rushed. Like, even even the finish, everything just felt rushed to me um my buddy mcpherson who was here said the same thing just felt felt really quick um um but yeah it wasn't wasn't a terrible match it wasn't a smoke break match i i I stuck around and i watched it um soraya winning i remember in the preview i said that anybody but soraya but uh (laughs) you know she looked a lot better in the ring. I thought I thought she carried herself pretty well in the ring this time compared to a few of the last times I've seen her in the ring. Um, so, yeah, uh, I thought they all did a pretty good job. Um, and to me, it was what it was. It was entertaining. Um, I think being Wembley, they were going to go and put it all out there. It didn't look like anybody really tried to go above and beyond what they can do. So, I don't know. To me, it was... It was it was a solid match. It was there. It was okay. And uh, as much as I didn't want Sarai to win the belt after seeing the pure emotion on her on her face and Wembley, yeah, it, it made sense. And, and uh, I thought it was a good moment. And uh, after seeing her do a little bit better in the ring, I'm not... Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a little interested to see how this moves on going forward. Yeah, I don't think there was really a way that Sheeta was going to retain. I, I really don't. I think there was two people that could carry it a little bit better. And I think now we're kind of seeing the reason why Tony Storm lost the belt, which is to kind of get her out of the outcasts, um, especially with what happened. Josh, I think the big question is, what happens next? When you're looking at a lot of stuff with this and we're going through, I mean, what's, what's next for this title? I mean, we look at the TBS championship being defended at All Out. That'll probably be Ruby Soho and Chris Statlander from what we've been hearing, if that's not official already. But... Um, what were your thoughts on this, and what do you think? What's next for the title with Soraya holding it? Yeah, I like Chris. I, I, I'm more like a C for this match. Um, I think that what's next is I think that it's going to be a Tony Storm Soraya program. I think that is the way that they're setting it up, um, which kind of gives Soraya, you know, her probably first defense, and then you know probably set that up for whoever they want to put the title on. I think. That Tony Storms had her short run, and she'll get back there eventually. But it's going to be time to move on to someone new. Um, I think that you know part of the reason Soraya got it was because it was in England, and it's a good you know it's not a terrible thing to do to get the crowd to pop. They got her mother involved, and you know her family was there. 
and then plus the song. So like I think that it was really like it was it was well scripted, and I agree. Like Chris said, uh, that she wrestled much better than I than her performances have been. But I mean, she's only wrestled what four times in single matches this year. So like you know to, that's a big thing to put the title on her. I, I th- imagine that her title reign is going to be short lived. Maybe you know like less than less than two months. Maybe I, only because I think that. Uh, there's better options out there for the the title for that. I think if we're looking long term, I think long term the plan would be even if we're talking about all in next year is really how do we get Jamie Hader there, right? And the reality is that like the reality is is that with a couple key people in this, there was some key people that really missed this. Brian Danielson wasn't part of the festivities. It would have even been nice just to see him there, you know. Um, same thing with Jamie Hader. Jamie Hader wasn't a part, and I think she would have really played a, a big. Um, part in that match regardless if it was her or Sheeta or even if she replaced Tony Storm there's a lot of things that could have happened with the, with having um Jamie Hayter in there and I think um Jamie Hayter is probably the best in the division I would I would argue that she's the best in, in the division and, and we haven't really heard a lot about Thunder Rosa right Thunder Rosa really provides something different and really kind of creates some different matches there but um, it, it really is. Where do we go next now? And I think, Josh, I think you're, you're leaning towards the right area with Tony Storm. I, I would say that, uh, you know, the, the celebration for Soraya winning in England was worth it for me. Um, I don't know if I really wanted to see her in the title, but I thought that that was the route that they were going to go. Um, especially it was either going to be, a, in my opinion, her or Britt that was going to win it. But I would have been really shocked if Britt won it in England over her. Um, so in a lot of cases, it was a nice moment. I really like the family getting involved, like holding Britt Baker back and then somebody, you know, Tony Storm punching Soraya's mother in the face. Like that was great. Um, so a lot of cool stuff happening there, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. And, uh, if, if the title is going to be discussed going in on the all out card, uh, next week. Um, so after the women's match, we had the, uh, the aforementioned coffin match between Sting and Darby Allen. Uh, against Swerve and uh, Christian Cage. And so, kind of on paper, kind of a little bit of a weird match stylistically when you look at it. Um, you know, Sting and Darby Allen have been a team all the way through where Cage and Strickland haven't really been a... a they'll be their first time really teaming together. Um, it's a bit of a hardcore brawl, which was cool. And, uh, you know, and then there were some late appearances that kind of popped in from uh, Nick Wayne and then Luchasaurus, right? So, question is... Um, Josh, what were your thoughts on this coffin match? Do you think it was just kind of a, a match filler in the middle of the card? Or do you think that the, the the teams here did a really good job at really pushing what they need to push? So, uh, to be honest, this match was actually one of the most entertaining matches for me. I think that like some of the spots were just really good when Darby Allen uh, did that coffin drop like right on top of the coffin. It was just... Uh, <laughs> he just really doesn't care about his body, and it's, like, really fun to watch that happen. Um, and I think that, you know, with Sting, um, you know, the, his physical abilities are limited, but, like, I think that, like, it really was a good a good showing for him, and he's been really doing, doing really well over the last couple months to have, like, some really intense and crazy spots, and I think that... Um, the spot where he like put the bat in the uh, into the th- into the coffin to, is to prevent the closure. That was really good, and so I, I just really I thought I, I like this match more than I liked a few of the matches. And I think maybe it was because it came after 
you know, the stadium stampede, which was a clusterfuck, and then the women's match was, wasn't as entertaining. So I think that it maybe got a, a better, like I was more pleased with it because it, I just hadn't seen something that I was like pleased with for like a half an hour. Um, but yeah, so I think that this match is great. I give it like a B plus. Chris, who's who's more undervalued when you look at a match like this? Is it Darby Allen that's more undervalued, or do you think Swerve Strickland's more undervalued? Because I think both of these guys have a case with Juice to be under on the most underrated list, and I'd have to say that when I look at wrestling technique, ability, and the sheer overall charisma to really do something great, I, I have Swerve at the top of that list for underrated because I don't think he gets the flowers that he deserves for the stuff that he does. Like for me. Uh, a lot of people won't agree, but I, I would say that Swerve, to me, if he finds a way, could could be an AEW world champion with the skill that he carries. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, I think that, I mean, Darby Allen's not underrated because they keep on, I think he's almost not overrated, but he's, like, used quite a bit, and he's, you know, like, they're... The, 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 under, the ultimate underdog. I think that he's, he's a great... Uh, addition to like any match where he can make anybody look good because he's easy to throw around and he doesn't give a shit about his body but swerve i agree i think that uh maybe part of his problem is he doesn't connect with some of the fans as much like i think he gets the like whose house swerve's house is good but like even if you listen to that it's not as like it doesn't have as much pop as you would want um, so maybe it's just the connection to the fans isn't as quite as much there chris does swerve strickland have a, have a face that you want to punch no, I like Swerve. Um, I just he's his role now is he's got kind of the mannerisms for it. Like he, um, like it's kind of like a an evil empire boss, and and like he the way he conducts himself, he he's believable in that role to me. Um, I liked him through the match. I thought uh, I thought he did pretty well. He took a was it him who took the scorpion death drop on the coffin? Yes. Yeah, it looked like he. It looked like he. His back went right into this huge bump that was made in it. So, good for him for getting up and uh, and uh, keeping or keeping going. But um, yeah, I, I'm gonna have to agree with Josh on that match. Like, I didn't. I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to. Like, I wasn't looking forward to it that much when then when it came on and it went through. Like watching Darby Allen literally throw his body around with his hands tied behind his back was like it's 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 almost as bad as seeing uh mick foley take 14 consecutive headshots with his hands behind his back it's just so dangerous <laughs> but he was able to do both without getting seriously hurt and that coffin drop on the coffin must have hurt like i don't know it's it's like the guy doesn't feel pain I feel bad for him when he finally does, but um, <laughs> and that and that day yeah, that day's uh, gonna come soon enough. Like it's just it's the reality of what it is. I mean, I think you kind of look at this match and you have two older generational superstars, and you have two young guys that are really kind of putting their foots in uh, for what they're trying to do. I mean, Swerve's been around a little bit longer um, on the on the the national scene, but um. You know, it was just such a unique match when you looked at it on paper. It was a weird match to look at, but it was something that we we aren't going to see all the time, you know. And I think to have the other people involved in the storyline to kind of come in and have their parts in, it was just, it, 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 I think you're right. Like, the other two matches that were before this took away from it. Um, is it the right place in the card? Unfortunately, I'd say yes. Uh, and that's just how they had to deal with it, but... 
Um, overall, it was entertaining. Um, it was exciting. Um, it was good. Um, there was ups and downs, which were great. But, I mean, hey, they did what the best. I think Sting and Darby basically coming out to Metallica was fantastic. Coming out to Seek and Destroy like he did in WCW was cool, cool ad. And then having the Joker face Mac was a, a little bit of a throwback. Um, overall, gentlemen, Chris, what would you rate this match if you were to look at it? Uh, B, B plus for me, especially because... I'll I'll take Sting no selling for a bit. In a day. <laughs> Josh, what was your grade for this one? I already oh, said B plus. plus. Sorry, I must have missed it. Um, I think I'm in the same boat. It's okay. Hey, I go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh yeah. No, I was just gonna say. Chris was mentioning headshots. I forgot to say that during the stadium stampede. Did you notice there was like at least three headshots with chairs yeah, from Penta and different items but yeah but you know i don't know so either it's a work chair or they just get away with it in AEW. but i don't taking hit chair shots is going to cause some ct yeah, no kidding it's uh, it's hard when we go through it i think they i think that's the fine line of trying to make it look so believable and that's why the stuff darby does is pretty scary eh? when you kind of look at it it's entertaining when you're watching it because as humans i think we all want bloodshed but i think um when that guy hits 40 years old he's gonna have a tough time so and Sting had to break a table twice yeah, again. Did. So if you, if, you, if you don't get there the first time, just do it a second time. That's what I always say. Who cares if it doesn't break? Just break it. <laughs> um, now, um, the next match after this, there's a couple matches left to go here. Um, we'll try and get through as much. So we got three matches left to go. Um, we're going to talk about Jericho and Osprey, which was, again, a pretty unique match um, when you kind of looked at it on paper. Uh, we have an older Chris Jericho. It would have been great to see Chris Jericho from 25 years ago go against Will Ospreay at this. I think that would have been, um, I'd say, uh, an S-tier match when we're looking at it. But we, we get probably an A or a B-tier match with Chris Jericho versus Will Ospreay. And, um, overall, I thought that this was a pretty good match. And it doesn't seem like it was one of the, the craziest matches that people were looking forward on the card because they really wanted to see Omega and Ospreay, right? But at the end of the day, Will Ospreay gets to, to do the show at Wembley. He gets to go through. The contract signing the week before was great. I thought it was really, really good. Um, and then he also had the stuff with Don Callis, and there was there was a whole bunch of stuff that kind of went out and uh, went out through this match, and, you know, Sammy Guevara was involved in, in a couple different thoughts. Chris, when you watch this match, do you think that Jericho's age potentially overshadowed the match with Osprey being one of the best in the world? Um, or do you think that this was a good match? Or do you think it was a great match? Or what do you think out of it? What were your overall thoughts when you when you look at this all together? Uh, yeah, I, I I liked it. I was uh, I was pretty high on it. Um, it's, again, just like uh, the coffin match. It was something I didn't expect to like as much as I did, which is always a pleasant surprise. Uh, I thought Jericho really, really brought it, but even when he does his bounce off the ropes to 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 like leg drop, like he's got to get that done quick now. He does. He has no time to do it. Um, but he wasn't as potato sacky as I thought he was going to be. That's um, a good word, potato sacky. I, I like it. Excellent. <laughs> but we got some we got some good offense from him um, at first. Watching it, seeing uh, Osprey's. Um, I love Osprey's entrance music. It really gets me going. So that, that it was a good start for me there. Um, when I Osprey kind of started getting a bunch of offense off, and then I thought, imagine this is a squash match. <laughs> but uh, um, 
you know, just a just a couple botches, which uh, Jericho botched the the os the os cutter, which it looked pretty bad. It looked pretty terrible. Um, some of the punches were pretty weak, um, but yeah, it uh, it was a pleasant surprise. I give it an A. Wow, Josh, what are your thoughts? Do you think Jericho was a little over the hill? Do you think he ran out of gas in this match, going up against uh, basically a barn burner? No, I don't think. No, I didn't look like he ran out of gas. I just think that the match was never going to be destined to be a five-star match with, you know, with the pairing. I think that, uh, you know, Will Os- Osprey was uh, definitely the best wrestler in the ring for this match. Um, and he definitely made the match uh, a higher ranking for, 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 me, for me. But I think that Jericho did really well. It's just like, again, it's hard to have that caliber of match with Will Osprey. Uh, uh, with a wrestler like Chris Jericho. He, Chris Jericho definitely gave him the rub, and I think it was also kind of a weird thing that, you know, they booked him with Don Callis when they knew he was going to go to England and be the face, right? Like, he's definitely not the, the heel in this match, even if he's doing heely things. Um, but with Sammy Guevara hitting, hitting uh, him with the bat, I guess that kind of turns it around a little bit. Um and at the end, uh, I guess it was a Jericho shoved Gar- uh, Guevara. Yeah. Is that what I, I? I can't remember that. I mean, but uh, you know, it's it may be that they're going to run a program together, and that'll be his gift to Sammy. At some point, you know, give him that rub as well. But uh, yeah, it was a good match. I give it a B though. I don't a B plus maybe at the most. It wasn't an A for me. Yeah, no, I think I think Osprey deserves an A in this match. I'm not shitting on Jericho, but. I think stylistically it's such a mismatch a little bit. I think Jericho could really go with anybody, and I thought he performed pretty well for, and I hate to say it, for his age. Because um, I think if this was an older Chris Jericho or a younger Chris Jericho, I think it would just the match would have been unbelievable. Because speed and the timing would have been there, and that's what was missing in a lot of it, was it was just a little bit off. With Will Ospreay, he does everything so fast at such a high tempo, and it's so technical that it's so easy for somebody to miss out of it. But with that being said, I think he made Jericho look pretty good. I think Jericho did all right. Jericho is, you know, there to bring his expertise. He's there to give the rub to Ospreay because Ospreay doesn't need the rub, but he needs a rub for a North American audience. He doesn't need it for a world audience. He needs it for the North Americans because, let's face it, Unless you're watching New Japan, you don't know who the hell he is, right? So, for a lot of the cases when you're going through, like, the 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 uh, the acrobatics and everything, the shooting star presses, the storm chasers, everything he did was really good. I really loved how Jericho was at the end, basically gave him the finger because he knew he was going to lose, and then basically caught him with the second storm chaser or whatever it was to win the match. Like, that was cool. Um, but you're right, I think... A lot of this part of the story is what's going to happen next week. What's going to happen in the next three months. And you know what? It might be Jericho and Guevara. It could be Jericho and Guevara teaming up and watching each other's backs. It could be something different. It, it, this is ultimately uh, going to potentially lead to a face turn for Chris Jericho or a massive swerve that's going to basically kind of take him from a tweener into a heel, right? Um, he can go in and out so quickly um, that even when he's a heel, people will cheer for him because his entrance music is singable to everybody in the friggin' audience. And I thought his entrance was amazing. I thought Osprey's entrance was amazing, and and it was electrifying when they got in the ring to do it. So it was good. Match didn't totally meet my expectations. I had a, I have it at a B. Um, 
and, and let's face it, I think if it was anybody other than Osprey, it probably would have been a C or a C minus at that point. Osprey really brought it up to a B, maybe even a B plus, and I'd have to say that his performance was overall probably an A or an A plus when you're looking at it overall um, as a singular wrestler. Um, okay, second last match of the evening: Trios Championships and undefeated 15 and 0. I think 16 and 0. House of Black going against the acclaimed, which is uh, you know with the return of badass Billy Gunn, not Daddy Ass. Or Scissor Me Timber's daddy, whatever. It's just the, the badass Billy Gunn. With two Ds, yeah. though. Because he's an ass man. Bow, bow, if you remember that music. But uh, I think that was the music that basically cost him the King of the Ring and not being able to do anything with it. Anywho. Um, so, pretty crazy match with this one. I mean, you know what? You look at a lot of it, and I think you look at it, it had all the stuff that the Acclaim does well, it has all the stuff that the House of Black does well, the House of Black's entrance was unbelievable, Max Caster's rap was pretty good for Wembley, I'd say, um, and and you know what, I just thought it was it was a good, solid match between two of the stronger trios teams uh, going forward. I, I didn't know if the Acclaimed were going to win it, but I felt that when you were going through, this was basically Billy's last chance to really get a shot at the titles. So, um, Chris, when you're looking at this match, who do you think the all-star in this match was? I mean, do you think it was Billy Gunn? Or um, who do you think really carried the carried the action in this match uh, out of the six wrestlers? Because there was a couple that were better than others, in my opinion. I really liked, uh, I really liked Billy. Every, everything Billy did, I kind of looked at it. I, I liked at it. I, I liked at it. I liked it. Um... I had to ask McPherson if uh, did he just say that to Julia Hart, and he did. He definitely did. And then they, and then we all know he, you know, told her to SSD. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, then her getting her getting scissored by Bowens. So like naturally, out of everybody you could pick to give her the scissors, that's gonna be the least. And just offensive, to cut you off, just so. to cut you off, when you get to that point when the scissor happens, if you go back over, and I can't remember what he said, but basically Taz made a comment about basically uh, a part of the women's anatomy that was in there that was probably thrown out. And somebody said, sorry, what'd you just say? Like you go over the commentary and watch it again. Like I can't even remember what he called it, but it, it's worth the watch back if you do. <laughs> uh, yeah, buddy, you, you know, buddy, buddy Matthews, he, he can move. Um, he, he did a lot for me. Um, Brody King always does it for me. Um, I mean, Brody King got he got the the crowd going with hoof hoof, yep. and like they were they were going. I think in terms of just performance, I'd have to give my uh, my all star performance to Brody Brody King, and I give the match uh, I give the match a B plus. Josh, what are your thoughts? Do you think that Julia's involvement was good? Do you think that she's strong as a manager? Do you think she's still learning her steps at this point? I mean, I think it's uh, she's doing just fine with uh, the House of Black. I think that they're kind of an easy crew to manage, just in the sense that like they're they're all pretty amazing athletes, and like I mean, they re- really don't need a manager to interfere to win matches, right? So I think her presence kind of adds a little bit to it. I think she definitely has some more. She has some learning to do, um, but I mean, coming from varsity blondes which is just like a total disaster (laughs) to joining you know the house of black which is one of the most formidable stables i think they've got right now especially with you know 
like you said, with Buddy Matthews, how do you like? How do you not compliment that guy for his work ethic and just for his like athletic ability? And I, I, I really love the entrance as well. So I think, like for me in this match, I'm not saying that anybody did better or worse, but I'd say that like you know the House of Black I was impressed with maybe. Um, and uh, but I definitely really enjoyed uh, when they scissored a, a Julia Hart, and I think he said ovaries. I'm pretty sure no, he might he have called said it, ovaries. He called, something with a P or something like that. He called it like some weird slang term. Um, like a phallus. No, or something, like it was like it was like a pig hap or something like that. Like just some stupid word. I don't even think that Ugh. that's what it is. But it was just it was like something really stupid. I'll have to go back over it because I mean, obviously, when you the cool part is when you get it on fight, you can rewatch it, right? many times as you want but yeah we'll check that out i thought max castro did a fantastic job in this match thought his rap was great i mean he basically uh you know called out prince andrew in front of eighty thousand people and uh made the royal family look stupid which was kind of funny um but chris i have to agree i think like let's face it buddy matthews is good because he works out with rhea ripley like 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 on a <laughs> regular basis and sheila probably lifts more than he does Let's be for real. But Buddy Matthews has probably put on, in the last two years, probably about 30 pounds of muscle. Like, if you actually look at his sizing from when he was in WWE, because he was a little bit smaller in WWE, and he's just big now, but he can move, and he's a creative guy, and I think, like, he was a guy in WWE where his stuff got overproduced, and now he's just got to go in there and be a killer. It's kind of like Pac. You don't need to be on the mic every two seconds. Just get in there. Use your pace and let that speak for your character, right, in a way. So, but I agree. I think Brody King was here. I think Brody King got set up for the fall a little bit, which was kind of whatever it was. I liked the House of Black, you know, kind of just like, here, you earn these. Just shove the titles and walk out. Like, it, like didn't need to have a fight for it. It doesn't matter that they have an occult gimmick or something like that. There was a sign of respect there, which was kind of interesting. Um, I think on the table of trios, I still think that the House of Black is the best trios, probably, t like, th they're good enough to probably win trios titles in ROH, and they're probably good enough to win a lot in Japan, that's how good they are. And I think even though Malachi Black looks weird, that now that he's clean-shaven, I really like the look of the match when they came in in all the white, I thought that was really cool, like, hey, we're House of Black, so you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna show up in all white. That's going to be cool. and uh, But yeah, I think uh, if I had to rate the match, um, you know, I probably would have rated it probably about a B or a B minus. Um, but overall, I think it was just because we, we were setting up for the big one. We we're setting up for the main event. And I think that's the reality of what it was. We're setting up for the AEW World Championship with Cole and MJF. And, and that's the big one. I mean, the storyline on this, guys, we, we've talked about it on the podcast over and over and over. Like, What's going to happen? Best friends going into this match? Are they going to be friends in the match? Probably not. They're going to hit each other. Is the friendship going to be over? Is there going to be a swerve? Is there going to be something crazy that happens? I think the storytelling in this match really told the case. I think when you look at the entrances, Cole entrance was good. MJF's entrance was fucking fantastic. So, I'm going to start with Josh. Josh. What are your overall thoughts of this match? Was this the match of the night? And was it truly deserving to say that this main event of this show was the match of the night? Oh, yeah, 100%. This was the match of the night. Just because it, it like, 
it provoked so much emotion. And then, like, the story, it, it, you could see the arc of MJF. And this is, like, MJF kind of, like, he's he's actually, like, proving his chops that he can be a baby face. And I think that this is, like, his interview with WWE because, like, it's really easy to be a heel. He can just call a bunch, call everybody a bunch of pores. But, like, we, they've slowly fell in love with him throughout the story. And for him to have that character arc in the match where, you know, he refuses to hit him on the table and then he refuses to hit him with his ring. And then, you know, he at the end of the match, when Adam, uh, you know, throws away the ROH titles and, you know, he's like, fine, you know, it doesn't even matter. I'll give you the title. So, like, you know, who gives a shit? Hit me, hit me, but hit me behind my, my head. Um, like just that whole character arc, like I said, is that's what made the match. The match was really good, but the emotion made it that much better. And like the storytelling is what made the match the best match of the night where it was like, oh, there's a draw and MJF has said no. And then it's like, oh, but I'm going to give you as long as it's going to take. And so like just that back and forth. And then like at the end with Adam, you know, uh, having that, having that conundrum, where it was like, okay, I could win this match by cheating, or I could, you know, do this, and then it was like, okay, I'm not going to do that, or I could hit him with the title, and Roderick Strong's screaming at him, like, for sure, you know, it's going to be good, because then that gives Adam Cole, maybe he has a, a feud with Roderick Strong later, or, you know, now they've got those tag titles, so they can keep it going, and, you know, they don't have to keep on fighting over the AEW title. I thought it was A+. Plus. Wow, that's great. Um, Chris, what were your thoughts on this match you're going through? We, we, we kind of had a feeling. We were talking about potential swerves. We were talking about Roddy coming in. We had a feeling that Roddy was going to be there. And I think the storyline eventually is going to move to Cole and MJF against the Kingdom and Strong for the ROH titles now that we kind of see it. I was kind of hoping maybe Adam Cole might take over the Kingdom. It was pretty a low, low rumor there. But um, how do you feel about this match? Does this make MJF... Um, the best professional wrestler on the planet when you watch him in a main event with 81,000 people? I mean, you got to put him up there at this point. Um, like, I agree with everything Josh said. This was, uh, this was match of the night. Um, entrances were great. Um, one of my favorite parts was when, yeah, when he said, fuck it, it's, it's Wembley. We're going to go until somebody wins. And then they both started cheating constantly to win. <laughs> that, like, they both they both started pulling the pants. They both started hitting each other in the eyes. Then all, like, the other, the foreign objects would start coming out. I thought it was, I thought it was just great. Like, I, I thought that was my highlight of the whole match. When as soon as the bell rings, roll up with, roll up with the tights, and then another roll up with the tights. So that was good. Um, yeah, the storytelling... You you saw come you saw MJF come out as the devil himself, but he wasn't really that much of a devil in this in this match. Like he he they were putting him over as the guy the guy who's about to cheat and won't, and and he didn't. Um, like Josh said, with Roddy coming back out just screaming, like it was. If you could take pictures, like a, a still picture of just. Like the still picture of MJF with his hands out and his back turned to Cole, Cole the title, Roddy screaming, catching all that in a picture would be a, a fucking great picture, yeah. right? So, like, we're just, we saw so many pictures within this match that you could look and, and they're just, it was great. The the wrestling was great. MJ, MJF finally flew through the ropes. Um, yeah, it, uh, it really did it for me, but, uh, and, 
that uh, tombstone, that tombstone on the on the table looked rough because I thought the table was gonna break. <laughs> it's reinforced um, seals, guys. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, uh, definitely my favorite match of the night. Uh, gets an A plus from me. Oh, fuck, this this match actually for me actually goes into uh, another tier in my opinion. I think if you're given an A plus, I think like even there's there's some matches that are S tier matches. Um, when you think of video game rankings, like the Konami S tier. I think this is a, a, a an S minus for me. Like it, it's just it's that it had everything that you needed. I mean, I was emotionally drained at the end of it. I literally thought when Roderick Strong kicked him in the low blow that like it looked real good, kicked him in the nuts, and then basically thought that the match was gonna end there, and then it would have been Cole holding the title, and Cole's old best friend screwed him over. But it could have been Cole sitting there and saying no, Max, wait, and then having to explain what it was. It was a good opportunity to potentially get the title off of MGF if you really wanted to. But based on this, he's like he's in a top three conversation for me for best professional wrestler on the planet. And why would you want to take the belt off him on this point? Especially with, we talked about merch sales on the other podcast. We talked about everything. But this match had it all. I mean, it really did. And you know what? It wasn't even just the match. It was the stuff that occurred if you watched any of the interviews that MJF had before, a week before. I think, like, he actually did um, a podcast, the Busted Open podcast with Dave LaGreca, and he was literally talking about how Adam Cole is his friend now. And he's talking about how he has, what does he say, rejection sensitivity disorder or something like that, where he has that, and he's talking like, it, like, like, hey, this is a real thing. And, like, Josh, this is where it comes into me. I'm like, is it a work or not? It could be. He talks about it like it's real. But at the end of the day, like... He talks about whatever he's doing in his life like a real thing. And, and you know what? Like, when you talk about, you know, RSD and him having that, it would make complete sense. But he's talking in this interview like, hey, Adam Cole's like a guy that I actually called. Like, he's a fucking sweetheart. He's this, this, this. And you kind of saw that in the match. Like, Cole's acting ability, I don't care what you want to talk about his body. If you guys, if, if anybody doesn't think that that guy could be a world champion, you're fucking deluded. Like, you really are. I'm sorry, like, yeah, maybe he could put on 20 pounds muscle and be, you know, like, have some shoulders and stuff. But at the end of the day, who the fuck am I to talk about that guy's body? From his chops as a professional wrestler, he's one of the best on the planet. Is he in the top three or top five? Not really for me. He's in the top ten for me. And he's a great choice for Wembley. His acting ability, you know, the ability to force cry, the ability to looks on his face, everything added to that match. That took that match, if there was somebody worse that didn't have that, probably from a B-plus or an A-minus to where I have it on that S-tier. And they both have it, because they both have that emotion in everything they're doing. Hell, even Roddy. Roddy, you talked about Roddy being stoic. Roddy was great. Roddy was the hub that kind of hinged everything together. And I thought he did an A-plus job in what he did for even having his moment for two, three minutes. Um... I think looking at this up, it sets up so many things moving forward, too. Um, it doesn't end the MJF Cole feud. It kind of sets them on a different curve that lets them go fight in different places and have a good time and, and gets buy rates. Like, if they're the main event of the next ROH-like event, are you buying it? Or, or are you getting Honor Club for $9.99 a month or whatever the hell it is? Probably, right? Like, why the hell wouldn't we? You're going to want to watch MJF and Cole on any TV. If they went to, uh, to JCW, you'd probably buy that pay-per-view too. Or NWA, we'd probably buy that pay-per-view too. Because they're the hottest draw in wrestling. Why wouldn't you? Right? 
So that match completely lived it up for me. Um, it was good, cool to see them hug it out. It was cool to see what you were talking about, Chris, going through. Um, and, uh, yeah, like it hit the mark for me. S-tier S minus for me for that match. Now, we'll do one quick fire with you. Um, and then, Josh, you can slice some salami, and then we'll uh, put the hay. But basically at this point, Chris, what's your highlight, your highest moment for uh, for All In, and what was your low point of All In if you had to pick out of everything that you saw throughout the whole pay-per-view? High spot, the high point, and the low point. High spot was was the skewers for me. That it, I don't know. It just it hit it hit me the right way. I didn't see anything like that coming. I don't know if that's what they planned because you can't test that out. Saying let's try this. So um, if they if Penta went there and just said and he said you know try to drive these into my head as much as you can. Whatever they did worked phenomenally there. It caught my attention. I loved it. Low light. By far, and I, I'm sorry if I'm taking this away from anybody else, was anytime JR opened his mouth. It was just, it, it didn't do it for me. He seemed so disinterested. He like asking, why do they call everything golden? Like, why you're gonna, you're just saying this now? <laughs> so, I don't know. JR, JR really, I was, I was the happiping I've ever been for Shivani t- tagging in. <laughs> Josh, your thoughts? High spot, low spot here. Uh, yeah, high spot. I think I'll, I, I still have to go with Darby Allen going into the coffin, um, like back first. Uh, I mean, I, there was lots of high spots, but that was like the most like, oh, that, that was a good spot. Like, uh, um, and then for me, the low spot was where the break in kayfabe by, uh, Ortiz. I, it was a low spot. I don't like to see the break in it, break in it. And it kind of ruined the match for me. So. Um, I think my high spot, my favorite high spot, was Samoa Joe basically slamming Punk's head right through the bottom of the announce table in the first match. That was my favorite part. Um, great way to get it going. There's lots of high spots that you can take from, like Sue driving the van. There's so many things that come up when you think about it. But I think when I really watched uh, basically Sue driving, finger finger quotes, driving the van, um, I just really loved CM Punk getting his head uh, head torqued in by the thing. Good job by Samoa Joe to swing him into it, too. It was great. Um, Chris, I have to agree. You didn't steal it from me. I think JR sounded like his age. And I think, you know what, it's it's sad to see what happens. But, I mean, you got to remember, he, he's a really old guy. Um, he's been around for 50 years. I think we have to give him the respect he deserves. But he didn't do himself any justice by doing that pay-per-view. And I would have to agree, I really was happy when Shimani did take over because if I was sitting at the announce booth with him, I'd be looking at him and going, what? Like, if I was Excalibur with my big mask on and whatever it is, like through my Lucha mask, I'd look at him and go, okay, what'd you just say? Like, it was just such a problem. He just sounded very like, like, he sounded like Grandpa Simpson. Like, that, it's exactly what I wrote in the chat, guys. Like, that's what he sounded like. And I'm just like, man, he's he just torqued at this point. So, I don't know. I, at one point, I actually was thinking to myself, I'm like, he's a smart man. Like, does he want to get fired? Because it sounds like he wants to get fired. <laughs> yeah, it sounds I, like Joe Biden. That's all. He's just yeah. old. I don't know. I, I love JR. I've always loved JR. But, like, you know, there's there's a time where, like, he just he's not quick enough on it anymore right like when he watches the match like he has to process what happens now 
Um, just like he's slow. Um, nothing like nothing against him or his body of work, but I mean, there just there comes a time, yeah. right? Even for Ric Flair, there came a time. So, I mean, now I just maybe he can do some interviews, something like that. But I like being live and and calling commentary. It's just I just don't think it's befitting of of him and his legacy. Yeah, I would have to agree, and I think it's one of those things where you kind of, like, I want to be able to say what I say on this podcast and stand by it, right? I want to be able to give him his respect for everything that he's done for everything that he's done, but when it's just that bad and it's the biggest show on, on the planet that we've ever seen, and the first hour and 15 minutes are basically wrecked by that, or the, you know, two hours that he was there, I think, like, that's that's a sad state of affairs, right? So I think... It really exposes him, unfortunately, the size of the event, and and that's really what it, what it comes down to. And for for whenever I watch that pay per view over on Fight TV, then I'm gonna have to listen to that for the first two hours, or I can just put it into Deutsch commentary for two hours, so I don't have to listen to it. Josh, what slice is your salami, good sir? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm not going to do like a, a WWE one, so I'll do a general one. But it does seem to happen in AEW more than it happens in WWE. So as we are tag wrestling fans, what really slices my salami is when tag teams have no uh, respect for the rules of tag. It seems like there's a lot more of like the faces breaking the rules of tag. I'm okay with the heels breaking the rules of tag, that's what heels do. But when there's, you know, a one-on-one going in the match or hopping on, or like, you know, when there's one wrestler in the ring with another wrestler and they're having an even match and then the face comes in and then just drop kicks that wrestler out of nowhere, it just doesn't make any sense to me for the story. Like, I feel like part of the tag wrestling is that the heel's going to be heels and the faces got to be faces. It's okay if you come in to break up a, a pin, but if you're impeding action, it's just not a tag match for me. And I think that the referees in AEW need to do a better job. It's just not how I enjoy my tag matches. And that is what slices my salami. FTR did grab, uh, they did grab the little string once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I, it, I think that's part of the thing that I find tough to watch with some of the like uh, Young Bucks matches is that like there's really just too much chaos for me with the tag matches and I like more discipline in the in, in it. If they're gonna do two wrestlers in the ring, I think they should do the, the quick tags and keep it going. You know, like they that's what that's what I like about tag wrestling. Yeah, it's a good point. And uh, I think you know what we're gonna have a lot more to kind of look at in the upcoming weeks. I mean uh, we're filming on a Monday today, um, just because it's um, basically today is what, August twenty eighth? So we're filming today just to kind of get yeah. everything ready. We wanted to make sure that we uh, we had uh, the all-in uh, review for you ready for Wednesday. Um, but we got another PLE coming up on Saturday. We got some uh, Monday Night Raw and stuff that are coming up. So um, <clears throat> I, uh, we'll have to discuss when we're going to be coming on the podcast. But we'll be back on soon, and we'll have uh, probably hopefully some more WWE uh, stuff for you as soon as we can. Right now we're in the summer of AEW, or at least the month of month and a half of AEW for what's been going on so we'll uh, we'll bring that back to the point but again if you do need to reach out to us you can reach out to us at the rub wrestling at outlook.com any questions any concerns anything that you want us to discuss in the show it's there for you um just remember to hit follow and subscribe you can find us on uh you know 
the Apple iTunes store. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Google Play. You can find us anywhere. Basically, there's a podcast out there. But uh, speaking on behalf of Josh and Chris, I just want to say thank you very much for listening. And wherever you are in the evening tonight, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. We all bid you adieu. Bang!